Good morning, this is Kofi Osebansu. The scripture reading for this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 1 to 5. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. This is the word of the Lord. Once again, we welcome you to Western Park Baptist Church to our virtual service. Uh, we've been looking at the Gospel of John, particularly the Upper Room Discourse, John 13, now through 17. Today we begin chapter 17, and we'll stay with this for the next few weeks till we uh, begin Advent. Chapter 17, Jesus moves into a prayer, so it's known often as the high priestly prayer of Christ. It's the longest prayer we have in the New Testament where Jesus prays to the Father and speaks about his own relationship with the Father and also the relationship that his disciples, including us, uh, will have uh, going into the future. So it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful piece of scripture and unusual, perhaps the closest thing we have is an Old Testament prayer by Moses um, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, where he prays to God uh, concerning the nation of Israel. So uh, we want to launch into this and hopefully uh, be encouraged by Christ's words. Today we're going to look at uh, verses 1 to 5, uh, the beginning uh, portion of it. So verse 1 reads, After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. John 17, verse 1. And so looking at this verse, we can uh, see if three different observations that are helpful, I think, as we, as we frame it. <clears throat> Interesting that there are 21 <clears throat> prayers of Jesus in the Gospels, and in all of them, he <clears throat> refers, sorry, to the Father as Abba. In all of those prayers, God is Abba. And Abba, as we've said before, is the Aramaic uh, word for um, God in, a, in, a, in an intimate way, in a close way. So it's Abba is Father, Patros, Pater, and that's what Jesus uses regularly. So God is one that is intimate with him, who is close with him. The rabbis of the day would not use it because they thought indeed that it was um, too intimate. And so they hold back and, and use other words for God. But Jesus moves right in and he is constantly Abba. So Abba speaks of relationship. It speaks of intimacy. It speaks of familiarity. And it's also a word that we are encouraged to use. So Paul uses it in Galatians 4, 6. It says here, and because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, 
crying, Abba, Father. So Abba, the Aramaic, God is our Abba. And so we are invited to reflect on God as a close God, not as a distant God, but one who is right there for us, who loves us. He's the creator of the universe, this incredibly sovereign, powerful God, yet he knows each of us intimately, closely, and wants to be in this uh, intimate relationship with us. So this is the dynamic that Jesus is setting up in his high priestly prayer as he refers to God as Abba. So we keep that in mind. That is something where later we're going to see that Jesus even prays for us, future disciples. God is our Abba. He is the one that we are invited to know and to experience. So that's the first observation. Secondly, we hear that the hour has come, Jesus says in verse 1. The crisis point has come. This is now the climax, the apex of the Jesus project, if you like, where Jesus comes to the crucifixion, to the resurrection. This is the critical point in his life. This is what the story is about. So it's no more talk. This is it. And so the hour has come, and the hour has come for God to complete his work in Christ, which ultimately uh, speaks to our salvation. So the hour has come, this critical point. Disciples are with him at this upper room uh, event towards the end. The next day, Jesus indeed is going to uh, be in the Roman court and suffer all that he will for us. The hour has come. And then thirdly, we move in then to the heart of Jesus. In the heart of Jesus, we see at the end of verse 1 that he prays, glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. And glory normally speaks of honor. It speaks of praise. We think of a king's glory, a queen's glory, all the um, the wealth and the power that goes around that. Think of Queen Elizabeth. Um, her palaces, that's glory. But here, it speaks more of the eternal mode of God's existence uh, breaking into our world. And we see this in Christ's life at various times, at his baptism. The dove descends, we hear the voice of God at Jesus' transfiguration, a, a similar type of event. And here Jesus is praying that God's glory might be manifested in this critical hour. That's what he prays, that God will be lifted up, he will be honored, he will be praised ultimately, and that also the reality of Jesus and what he's doing for humankind will come to a conclusion and will um, be recognized for the power and the presence of what is happening here. So ultimately, it, it's humanity being transformed. It is humanity being saved, lifted up, redeemed. This is the hour of Christ's glorification. So all of that we see in verse 1, some indications. Verses 2 and 3. Since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Jesus prays that God's glory might be seen, and ultimately, how is that revealed? It's revealed in the impartation of life. 
And that's really the critical point in this beginning unit of Christ's high priestly prayer. It plays on the word to give. The Father has given the Son the ability to give life. That's where Jesus begins. So it's a play on the word to give. And what the Son gives is ultimately eternal life. Jesus is the source of life. He is the one who comes to give you, myself, life, experience that, the quantity of life, the quality of life. That is where Jesus is going here. That they might know you. And in verse three, verse three here, we see a definition of eternal life. It goes this way, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So this is perhaps the clearest definition, definition we have in the New Testament of what life, eternal life, is about. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So the impartation of life comes from knowing, comes from knowing God, comes from experiencing Him, comes from a growing awareness and consciousness in our own lives of God's loving presence. That's what Jesus is saying, to know him, to know God, to know that he is your Abba, my Abba, he is here for us and loves us. So I like what uh, Bruce Milne says, he was a pastor in Vancouver for a number of years, he writes this in his commentary on John, but the world in and of itself cannot satisfy us. That was never the intention. Beyond the world, we seek the world's Lord, the ever-living God of glory, grace and majesty, Father, Son, and Spirit. Eternity will bring the deepening of our knowledge through ever-richer appreciation of Him who is without end. To receive eternal life is not the end of our journey. In the deepest sense, it is only the beginning. That's a lovely statement. But it's a growing awareness and knowledge. So in our lives right now, coming to maturity in Christ is coming to a deeper experience of the knowledge of God, of who he is, and what that means for us, not just in our head, but in our heart, our experience of God. So Jesus is praying for his disciples. He's going to pray for us that we, in our lives, might come to an expanding awareness and consciousness of God's presence, of his spirit in your life, in my life. That's what the human journey is all about, to come to know God more. And indeed, even in our eternal experience, it will be more and more coming to an awareness of God's love for you and for me. That is what Jesus prays here. This is eternal life. Note a life that begins even now as we come to an understanding who God is, knowledge. So, of course, that encourages us to be in the scriptures, to be reading God's word, so that in our minds we begin to aware, become a, more aware of who God is, and then that starts sinking down into our hearts, from our head into our hearts, the experience of who God is and what that means for us. That's where Jesus is saying, this is what glory is about. Glory is about coming to an awareness of who God is and his desire for you, that your life, your name is important to who God is and he wants us to enter into that dynamic, that relationship. Whatever's going on, 
Here we are in COVID-19, in this pandemic. Church has been shuttered on Sundays for months now. But God still working in your life and my life that we might come into this growing awareness of who he is. Last week we talked about what is the converging point in your life right now. What, where is God touching you in your life? What does he want to say to you here and now? And that's what Jesus is about here and now. God's knowledge for you, for me, his spirit in your life, my life right here. This day, this sunny day here in Toronto as we're taping this. What is God saying? The challenge we face as we end this point is that, you know, we dabble with the gods of our world. So even as we, we want to hear God and know God, we tend to get engaged in whatever's going on in our world. I read a story this week of one of the basketball players for the Raptors, won't mention who that was, who just bought a Ferrari, and the Ferrari is worth about $600,000, and with all the extras he's adding, it's going to be a million bucks. So a million bucks to drive this car around town. Don't really need it, do we? But it's something I can do, something I want. So there it is. So materialism can be a, a god that we dabble with. There's a very interesting story in the book of Genesis. Genesis 31, where Rachel and Jacob have been living with her father, Laban, and they've been serving there for a number of years, Jacob for a number of years. And he is told by God, Abba, that he is to return uh, to the land of Israel, to his homeland. And so he's not sure how Laban is going to handle this, so he orders his family to quickly get ready and to jump on the camels and they're going to go back to their homeland. And there's an interesting detail where Rachel decides that she's going to take the gods, the family gods of her father, and she hides them under her camel seat. And she's going to take these gods back to the, the new homeland. And Laban finds out that these gods are missing and chases after them and, and threatens Jacob, saying, why did you take my family gods? And Jacob knows nothing about this. And he says, well, whoever finds, wherever those are, that person will be put to death, not knowing that his wife is sitting on the very family gods. Well, she's a sly one, and she's able to convince her dad that she's not sitting on anything, and so he doesn't check that. They never do find them. She takes the gods. But, the, you know, it's an interesting story. They're going back to a new place, a new experience of God, but for whatever reason, she isn't ready to let go of the family gods. And so even as we know God as our Abba, and we want to experience him more, we can dabble and hold on to the old gods. Here in Canada, in the West, it can be materialism, it can be things, be money, it can be security, it can be power, it can be well-known, whatever those issues are that we hold on to and actually keep us from growing and, and moving into maturity with 
the divine family because we're stuck. And so we can become spiritually stuck. And this prevents us from enjoying the eternal life that God wants to give to us and Jesus wants to give to us here and now because we keep dwelling on those family gods, whatever they might be. So Jesus says, hey, eternal life is offered. The Father wants you to experience this life. True self, the true self, here and now, not just later, now. Experience that and to uh, move on with what he has for us. Jesus finishes saying, I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. This is where Jesus finishes. So he prays for the impartation of life, but he also prays for the completion of the work. Verse 4 talks about uh, it sounds like it's almost already been done, but of course it hasn't. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do, but the work hasn't been finished yet. But Jesus looks at it as if I've been to the cross, the work is done, the hour has come, I've passed through it, but indeed really Jesus needs to finish. He needs to complete it. And again, we have this reference to glory three times more that God might be lifted up. He might be glorified. The Son might be glorified, even as he moves to the cross and through the cross, the death and the resurrection. As the prayer moves on, we're going to see that not only does Jesus pray that his work might be completed, but he looks forward to his disciples also finishing and doing their work. And that speaks to you, and that speaks to me. And it just reminds us, as I close, that our true vocation is deeper than our employment. Whatever employment you have is not your deepest vocation from God. You may do whatever the heck you're doing, but God has a calling for you in your real life. How do you manifest love to others? That's your deepest vocation. And that's the invitation for you and for me. So I like this statement by Ruth Finnegan, who writes, what people do with their free time in both leisure pursuits and volunteer activities is more important in shaping their pathways than what they do for a living. Interesting. That the true pathways of your life, the true pathways of moving into this experience and relationship with God comes through other things than simply your work and often more in these other ways. And so it's an invitation for you and for me to draw back and to experience and to remind ourselves about how am I manifesting love even beyond my life. And so Jesus' closing prayer begins with giving, a giving of life to the world, eternal life, and that this is the experience that God intends. And I pray that for you and for me we might receive that life, enter into it, and know his joy and his purpose in his meaning for us, even as we say yes, as we open our hands, move away from closed fists, open our hands to God, and receive what he has for us. And these things I pray in Christ's name. Amen.